0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. Today is a guest episode, and I am so excited to share this guest with you. Today, we have Shah Wasmond MBE on the show. She has over 20 years' experience building and exiting multiple businesses and works fiercely towards financial empowerment for all. Growing up with a single mum on a council estate, and being the first in her family to go to university, Shah is passionate about helping others fulfil their greatest human potential, irrespective of their background. Shah was awarded an MBE from the Queen for services to business and entrepreneurship, one of the proudest moments of her life, not just the award, but the fact she was able to take her adored Nan to the palace. She was also named one of the UK's top 20 most influential entrepreneurs by the Sunday Times and one of the most influential women in the UK by the Institute of Directors. Welcome to the podcast, Shah. It's really great to have you on today. I am very
1: excited to be here, Leslie. Um, Yeah, it's a topic that I love talking about.
0: So I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all my guests. What's your money story?
1: Oh, this is such a great question. And we could go in so many different directions. I think what is probably the most helpful for people is to go on a little bit of a journey. Because for most of us, I believe our money stories, as I'm sure, Almost all your guests probably refer to either in their entire story or at least in part of it, it comes back to our childhood. It comes back to how we were brought up to feel around money. And so for context, I grew up in a single parent family, um, working class family, grew up on a council estate, had absolutely no money, no one in my family had ever gone to university. And I don't think I, I had a holiday outside of the UK. Until I was 16, and then I paid for it myself. Now, within that context, I had actually, uh, I I actually grew up for a chunk of my childhood in America. So, whilst that wasn't a holiday, because I was actually born there, so I was born in America, I grew up for a chunk of time out in the States. And then uh, when my parents divorced, we came back to the UK. And when I say we had no money, there is, you know, there are, there are, there are levels of having no money. There are the levels of having no money where you live in a you know, a nice two-bedroom flat, but you don't ha- have a house. There are levels where you live in a nice two-bedroom flat that you don't own, you just rent it because you can't afford to buy your own house. There are levels when you live in a three-bedroom council house because you can't afford your own rented accommodation. And then there are levels where you don't have any of that and you actually live in a hostel for homeless families. And so I say this because I think it's really important for people to understand how much our background impacts how we relate to money and, and also what we can do to change that for the positive. So... I spent uh, a very uh, unfortunate two years living in a hostel for homeless families. And I say unfortunate because I think it would have been unfortunate at any point in time. But it happened to be at the time when I'd just started secondary school. And this is when I had had returned from America. I was overweight. I had been living off of my... Donald, because my mom was doing three jobs trying to just keep a roof above our heads, and we were housed in a homeless shelter for two years whilst we waited for council accommodation. And during that time, I, I really struggled because not only was I overweight, but I had an American accent and I was at a new school and I had no friends and and I lived in a hostel. So I couldn't mm-hmm. even tell anyone where I lived. And I share this because I think these things are formative to me anyway, in my journey about money. And a lot of people would think from hearing that, that I would have a negative relationship with money. and And without a doubt, there are some aspects of that. But there was one point in time where my mom sat me down we had a, one of those camp beds that pulled out the fold up bed that you should probably only ever use you know in absolute emergencies for one night only yeah. but we literally lived on these pull out camp beds with springs coming through the mattresses and i'm not really not exaggerating because i think it's just super crucial to understand where we've come from, and what that journey looks like. Because that's the only way other people can learn from our journeys. And she sat me there, and we we were living in a probably 10-foot by 8-foot room with me, my mom, and my younger brother. And we shared a bathroom and a kitchen with five other families. And she said to me, "Shaw, sure, I want you to take a really good look around you. And I want you to never, ever be afraid of taking risks because whatever you do, you will never, ever end up back here, no matter what. And that was such a powerful lesson for me because I'm not saying that I haven't had um, some limiting beliefs around money or some negative relationships with money because I have. And yet that was an incredibly powerful moment that at the point that it was said, I didn't realize what an impact it would have on me in the future. But what it had was this realization that I am far more prepared to take risks, predominantly in business, where I feel like I can at least control the risk, right? I can manage my control expectations, but I'm not afraid. So I am not afraid of losing money. I am not afraid of going all in on things because... I think back to what my mom said, and I realized that it's been many, 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 many years since I could ever have been in a situation that would have taken me back there. And in fact, I think by the time I was twenty one, nothing could have ever happened in my life that could have ever, ever taken me back there. And that was incredible because I was only there at eleven, and by twenty one, I'd already put my I bought my own home at twenty one. I mean, from from living in a, a hostel for homeless families at eleven to buying your first home at twenty one with your own money without anyone ever giving you anything, not a single solitary penny, not one pound, nothing. And so for me, my story about money, I grew up thinking that rich people look down on poor people because that was my lived experience. My experience around money was that in order to be really, really rich, you had to kind of sell your soul to the devil because I think that's probably what I'd been brought up to believe. I—I uh, I, My money story was rich people aren't like me or I, I i'm i'm not born into the type of family that can be rich because i didn't see any of that around me because my my nan lived in a council house all my family lived in council houses because my nan was um the head cook at the local primary school My mom was doing three different jobs, and then she became a teacher. So she had a great job, really important job, but really badly paid. You know, after a council, after living in a homeless shelter, we we then moved to a council estate. So I didn't have anything around me that would tell me that that money was for me until I very fortunately won a scholarship to the City of London School for Girls when I was sixteen. And when I went to City, it was filled with girls who had the absolute 180 degree different upbringing to me. We had girls coming to class or coming to school in chauffeur driven Bentleys. It wasn't even the parents taking them. They had chauffeurs driving them in a Bentley, not even a Range Rover. I mean, this was next level wealth. And yet I was getting better grades than almost all of them. And so what it made me realize was actually if they can have that, and I'm smarter than them, at least academically, why can I not have that in my future? And so I very quickly, because I was surrounded, and not only was I surrounded by incredibly privileged kids who I've got to be honest, didn't really relate to, I was also surrounded by, uh, to a lesser degree, there were less of them, but they were definitely there immigrant families who were first generation money, whose parents had had left school at 14, had no education, came to the UK, worked incredibly hard, were entrepreneurs. Some of them made their money from wimpy franchises. Some of them made their money from, you know, setting up their own clothing line. But there was a bunch of entrepreneurs. And I think I resonated with them because those Families, who, the kids who came from the entrepreneurial families were typically immigrants who were first generation wealth and therefore had a very different attitude about it. And their parents had a different attitude about it. And actually, what I found was those parents were really encouraging with me because they saw in me their own childhoods, right? So they had come good and made good financially. Their kids were living a very different life to me. But the parents saw me as somebody living the life they used to have. And so I got so much encouragement to think about a different way of life. And so for me, my story with money is that one, you can change it. You can absolutely change it. Two, money is not the root of all evil. The obsession with money is the root of all evil. The the, prioritizing it above everything else. The belief that money by itself is going to make you happy, which is just absolutely fundamentally not true. However, it's very easy to say that when you have money, because the flip side is, you know, a certain degree of money gives you the ability to not have as many problems, to not worry about the mortgage, yeah. to not worry about inflation, <clears throat> to not worry about school fees, to not worry about holidays. Well, actually, that's that does make you happy. Let's not pretend. because. You can't be very happy, or maybe some people can, I don't know. I, I couldn't if I was constantly stressed about how I was going to make ends meet every single month. So I think that's, that our money stories are are here to be changed. And I think that I think that something I'm very conscious of is I thought I couldn't have any limiting beliefs around money because when I look at where I came from and where I've come to, it's so far. Surely, it wouldn't be possible for me to have limiting beliefs, and yet that is also not true mm. because Super. it's like new level, Super. new devil. And so, I've still had to work on my money beliefs, and and I I think it's always a work in process, you know, or progress, I should say.
0: No, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. And it's you know, it's something that you know I say and see in my clients frequently. They come to me wanting a one size fits all permanent fix. And there is never going to be a permanent fix because exactly as you said, new levels, new devils. But I think the difference when you have gone through working on your money mindset, on your relationship with money, is that you are quicker getting to the solution with a little less damage along the way as far as your self-worth self-value questioning yourself etc because you've created that evidence previously well I did it last time and this happened I can do it again exactly yes exactly and what I love for people who are listening to this rather than watching it on YouTube is your t-shirt saying reassuringly expensive And that is absolutely. And that is such a bold statement of intent and in recognizing your self worth, your self value. Do you think your 16 year old self felt that, or have you had to do the work to get to feeling that you can wear that T shirt proudly and boldly (laughs) now? So
1: I hope people aren't going to hate me for this because I know that it can come across as I'm a braggadocious twat. I'm really not. But there are many, many, many things that I need to work on and there probably always will be. And I am absolutely fundamentally not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I am very fortunate that I have always had rock solid self-belief even when I had no money, even when I hadn't achieved anything, there was something in me deep down that just knew my value. And no matter what has happened in my life, the good, the bad, the indifference, that has never, ever changed. So I believe that that is actually the cornerstone of having not just a good relationship with money, a good relationship with yourself, a good relationship Relationship with other people it comes from within that self-belief and being worth it isn't just a monetary thing it's not just I'm worth the fees that I charge it's I'm worth your attention I'm worth your time I'm worth your love I'm worth your effort and the first person you need to have that conversation with is actually yourself and I feel very blessed that that has never been an issue for me
0: and do you think that goes back to the self worth and self value your mum instilled in you
1: i do believe it's a combination of things some of it i don't want to say luck but i do think some of it is genetics i do think that we are all we all have different dna so there will be things about me that are my weak spots and they could be your strong points and vice versa so for me i do feel it's partly dna It's partly I had such a messed up childhood. My dad was uh, a cokehead. He was violent. He was abusive. I think that that sadly in that situation, the vast majority of kids tend to grow up being vulnerable to following those patterns that they saw. And then a very small percentage. And this is where I think luck probably comes into it because I was very young. I was like eight, nine, ten. A very small percentage do the exact opposite. They develop such a level of inner resilience and self-belief. And I'm going to handle this that no one, I never, uh, I never succumb to any kind of peer pressure, not even in my teens. So I think that stemmed from having to be so resilient as a kid to take care of my mom to take care of you know my younger brother i felt like i was very much an adult from a very young age from probably like 8 years old i felt responsible for people and whilst i wouldn't wish that on any kid i also think that you know let's try because we can't change it to look at what were the positives that came out of that and what the positives were was that i know i can handle shit i know that whatever life throws at me i know i can handle it because it's never going back there ever ever and that is what led me to the hostel and I'm never going back there so I can handle it whatever's coming at me I can handle it and then on top of that having a really strong matriarchal family with a really strong mom and a really strong grandma my nan she's still alive today she's 97 she'll be 98 in may do you know where she is right now
0: no tell me she's
1: on a beach she's she's on a beach in lanzarote she went out to lanzarote for 2 months in december because my mom's got a little house out there, and so it's nicer for them to spend the winters in the sun. But my Nan's attitude is it doesn't matter how old I am. If I'm alive, I'm here to live. And she said thats I will keep getting on a plane for as long as I as long as I'm here, I'm going to get on a plane. And that's
0: just amazing to hear, isn't it? Because the, the ripple effect that has when somebody, hopefully, you know, listening to this podcast, feeling a bit fed up, you know, it's a long winter, it's a cold winter, all the news in the media, etc. But when they say say, hearing a 98-year-old lady isn't just sitting at home, worrying about, you know, whatever there is to worry about. No, I'm alive. I can get on a plane. I'm going to go out and I'm going to enjoy myself. And hearing those stories- and,
1: and <laughs> I want to put that into context because she she is now in a wheelchair and she has no sight in one eye and she has no hearing in the other ear and she is still getting on a plane. And I can't tell you her levels of frustration. This is the saddest part because up until she was 94, she was still getting on a bus. Going shopping by herself with no help whatsoever and then it suddenly sped up her her mind fortunately she's still 100 with it mentally but she can't see through she can't see at all in one eye she can't hear at all in one ear she's in a wheelchair she struggles to walk across
0: the room but she won't give up because she's she, she, she's so appreciative that she's still here and do do you think that plays, you know, a strong part in for a lot of people who are, you know, are very successful, who have had to, you know, they, they wear the, the scars of what they've gone through th- through their lives. Do you think that gratitude plays a sense in the success that you're enjoying and that you know, others who are equally successful being grateful for how they got there and not just taking it for granted? I think so, because I think success comes in many
1: formats, right? So you can be financially successful, you can be materially successful, you can have all the things, but still be unhappy, because I I believe that if you're not grateful, if you show no gratitude, I think happiness will be very fleeting for most people. So to me, my... My idea or my definition of success is actually a combination of a material goal, a financial goal that allows me to be financially independent and financially free. But it's also for me being successful is being able to Go away for as long as I want to go away. I take 17 weeks holiday a year. And that's a lot of holiday. And I'm very proud of it. Uh, and for me, that's part of being successful. Part of being successful is being able to pay for my mum and nan's flights without even thinking about it. Buy my mum a new car because it, she needed a car that was easy to get a wheelchair into. You know, just Those are the things that are important to me. That's what success, Those are my success metrics. And I don't think that if you don't show gratitude... I'm So the way I see it is I am grateful that I am in a position that I'm able to, and this is how I see it in, in a really positive way, not in a, not in a tit for tat way, but I want to pay back all the things that my mom and my nan did for me, not, not in a, like they, they, they don't make me feel like I wanted to, but I think back and I think about all the sacrifices they made for me. So now I'm in a position where I can help them. I My measure of
0: success is gratitude that I'm able to do those things for people. Which yeah, which is exactly as it should be. You know, I'm reading for for me. You know, we spoke before we started recording about you know what you for you this year. You're looking at your fitness as one of your yeah. you know, your main goals for the year. Mine is to try and find a sense of spirituality which I've never really looked at before. And I've started this month with doing um, a book called The Magic or the audio book called The Magic, which is about raising your level of gratitude gratitude. gratitude each and every day. Um, And I know for me, I'm three quarters of the way through that at time of recording. And it has made such a difference to how I feel about life, how I'm conducting myself, how I'm more in control of my thought process, etc, etc. So I think this whole thing about gratitude is certainly... Undervalued. And once you step into that more and start to appreciate even the smallest of things, it actually opens you up to much, much bigger things at the same time, which is just, you know, which for me has been eye opening.
1: So I'm definitely from the Stoic school rather than the woo woo school, but I absolutely do believe that the more gratitude you show, the more of a magnet you become for good things. Absolutely. And I know that sounds very woo, but I am sure energy, you see, I when I think of it, when people talk about energy, some people think that's very spiritual, and very woo-woo. I know I am so stoic. I, I mean, literally, I am so pragmatic. However, I look at energy like physics. We all emit energy. This is a fact. It's a physics. It's a physical fact and it's a fact of physics. So I think that when you're expressing gratitude, you are essentially emitting positive, attractive energy that in turn brings positive, attractive energy into
0: your life. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And amen to that. And I, you know, I'm with you. I am much more on the stoic side than I'm on the woo side, but I'm kind of allowing myself to lean a little bit more just to see, just to be kind of a little bit more open to stuff I haven't been open up to before. So let me I think, let's...
1: That, I think that's a great Leslie. I think I think that is a great attitude. And let me know how you get on, and maybe you can persuade me to join you
0: <laughs> I will, definitely. <laughs> How, Given everything that you have been through and where you are now, how do you balance all of that when it comes to your children and parenting your children and helping them to understand that the life that they're enjoying is not necessarily the life that lots of people are enjoying? Because you've gone from from you know from one end to a completely different, so that must be something that you have to be quite mindful of.
1: Yeah, I, I am, and and I'm not going to lie; it's a, it's a work in progress. So, you know, um, my son has been at a private school his whole entire life from from primary school all the way through, and and I swore, I swore blind, I would not send my kids to private schools. Until you live in London and then you look at the choices that you've got and you can afford the private schools and you ask yourself am i prepared to sacrifice my child's education and development over my beliefs i shouldn't support and it, when it came down to it i put my child first. I made the decision that i felt was best for my child. I still vote labor. I'm still prepared to pay more taxes to help more people. I'm I'm all good with that. But when it comes to my personal decisions for my family, i think We all have to make the best decision that we can with the resources we have at the point in time that we make those decisions. Now I share this because this child has grown up in a multi-million pound house living on a royal park. I grew up in a hostel for homeless families. He's grown up thinking that every August means you're going to spend the whole summer in Barbados. I mean, this is his life. He's grown up. He's been to more countries than I would imagine ninety five percent of the adult population. You know, he's been all across Europe. He's been to America more times than he can probably remember. He's been to Marrakech at least fifteen times. He's been to Canada a handful of times. He's been. I mean, he's just traveled. He's been to Cuba. He. I mean, you know, he's seventeen. His school trip just recently was a two-week trip to Cuba for Spanish. I mean, I don't know about you. I went, I, I, went to, I went to Calais. He has a school trip for Spanish, and they go to Cuba for two months. So it's a very different experience that he's living. And I think that we have to be conscious as, as parents who, who have created generational wealth of a couple of things one not spoiling our kids so I do make it very clear to my son you know this is not and I do this in many 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 ways everyday ways I remind him all the time and I will be fair to my son he he is not very materialistic he doesn't expect a lot he, he doesn't go around wanting And in designer clothing, he doesn't spend a lot of money, for example. He's very aware of how much his school fees are because they are more than the average wage, which is, you know, pretty insane, really. Um, And at the same time, you also have to be conscious that your children didn't choose this. Yeah. Right. So you can't punish your children because you have more money now and they get to live a different lifestyle because that's also not fair. So here's how I handle it. I give him everything that he needs, but not everything he wants. And I tell him very clearly that going forward in the future, when he wants to buy a car, when he wants to buy his first flat or apartment, my rules are very simple. For every pound that you save or you make, I will match it. That's the beginning and end of the sentence. There is nothing else available. If you somehow find a way to make £50,000, I guarantee you I'll give you £50,000 in return. If you can only make £10, that's all you're going to get. So you, my son, have a massive incentive to get off your ass and figure shit out because I will match whatever you bring to the table. But I will not give you anything because I don't think that is a valuable lesson. No,
0: I agree. Totally agree. And I've I've had to have a similar conversation with my eldest son, who's 16. My youngest child is 14. And they have completely different views, you know, about money. And as much as I want to, you know, be the nurturing mum with my 16 year old, I know he's going to university in two years time. And therefore, he has to know that money will go so far, but he has to start budgeting because mum and dad, bank of mum and dad, are not going to be there to do that for him because that's not a good lesson for him to learn. No, it's not. And I've told my son that I will not
1: be paying his university fees. I've told him that if he chooses to go to university somewhere where I think it's a good investment to buy a property, but that is my prerogative, I will buy a property. And if he can find people to rent that property so that their rental covers the mortgage, then he won't have to pay any rent. But that's on him. I'll, I'll, I'll do the grant work, but you better do the rest, otherwise you're gonna be paying just like your friends are. And you know, he's he's very he's always been, I've made this very clear from him from the very beginning. So I think he's very clear. The one thing I wanna when we're just because we're talking about kids, one of the things I think the best things I ever did for my son. I invested in a pension for him from the day he was born. And now most people don't know that this is even possible. And I can't, I would say when I talk about this, 95% of the audience, no matter who they are, no matter how educated they are, no matter what their jobs are, no matter what their genders are, do not realize this is possible. You, You can take out a pension for your child. A government has to contribute to the pension in the same way they contribute to your pension. So my son at 17 is currently sitting on a six-figure pension, a six-figure pension Mm -hmm. at 17. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I did this, he doesn't have any savings account, because I wanted him to know that he can go and choose whatever he wants to do with his life. I want him to do what's going to make him happy. In the knowledge that when it comes to retirement, if I'd never put any more money in after he's 18, it will end up accruing to the equivalent of a million-pound pension today. Now, if you think about that, this means if he wants to go and become a music teacher, for example, not make a lot of money, typically you'd be worried about how do you take care of yourself in your old age? Well, he doesn't have to worry about that because he's going to think, you know what, I want to pursue what's going to make me happy, what's going to make my heart sing, what's going to allow me to, to, you know, leave an impact on the world because my mum's covered me, you know, when I get to 60 or 65 or 70 and I want to stop working... I'm actually going to have more money than when I was working. I mean, I hope that's not the case. I hope hope he's going to have way more money than me and way more success than me. But above all of that, I want him to pursue something that he really, really wants to do. And I've got him covered for later in life. And I think that's really important.
0: No, I totally, totally agree with you. You know, we started saving when the children were small, but we certainly didn't know back then about starting a pension for them. And I do think, these days there is so much information and so many ways that you can be supporting yourself financially supporting your children and they're relatively inexpensive ways if you start soon enough the power of compound interest exactly and I think oh my god it's amazing yeah Totally agree with you, yeah. and I think you know we are fortunate that you know we are the generation that if we truly believe we can have it all, we can have it all. We can decide not to go to university or to go to university to go into a corporate job or to become an you know an entrepreneur to so be in a corporate job, leave that job, and then become you know an entrepreneur, and hopefully our children get that that benefit of hindsight even more quickly than we actually had it as well. You know, I was brought up very traditionally, police officer father, uh, my mum worked part-time and they believed, you know, the route to success was university, get a job for life. And I never, ever really believed I was going to run my own business until I discovered with two small children, a corporate life was not going to allow me to spend time with my my babies and be successful in the job that I had, which was you know hundreds of miles from where I lived. So I then joined my husband in the business that he'd set up and then eventually set up my coaching business. That I was fortunate to be in that circle at the time, but my children now, a little bit, a bit like you're saying, they're both in private school, they are surrounded by... A variety of people. You know, some are there because of bursaries, some are there because their parents working really, really hard to ensure they're there. Some are there because their parents are very, very wealthy, and others are there because they want their children to have an international experience. They're from overseas. So therefore, the you know, the circle my children are in are from all walks of life, and they get to experience that and hopefully have that sense of appreciation of what could be possible for them if they decide it's possible for them. What would you say to your 16-year-old self if you could meet her now?
1: Oh, I would say to my 16-year-old self, just keep being you, Sure, you're gonna be all Okay. And then I would add to her, remember what your mom said about taking risks, never be afraid of taking a risk. And when an opportunity comes along that you think that you shouldn't do because it doesn't feel sensible enough, ignore the doubts and pursue it anyway. Because my biggest regret in my career is... Actually, that I didn't set up a sports agency. So when I was working with Chris Eubank, I had the opportunity to set up a sports management agency, and I would have crushed it. I would have been phenomenal. And that's not me bragging, it is just the truth. It is my sweet spot of relationships and negotiations and big picture and deal making and spot. I, I it, you know, that's just in my DNA. I am not only am I really good at it but I really love it. And my regret is that when I had the opportunity to do it, I turned it down because it didn't feel like a real career. And that was based on my money story, right? So my money story was telling me, that's not serious enough, Sha You need to do something more serious. So I went and set up a PR agency and Fair enough, I set up a peer agency and James Dyson was my first client. So I did pretty good. <laughs> you However, certainly in did. <laughs> in hindsight, I would still say, actually, actually, I would have set up a sports agency. And
0: why not set up that sports agency now?
1: You're never too old, and I would never say no, but I think that I've probably just got a few more things on the go right now for the next two years than I think. I would have the capacity to take on board something like that. But that doesn't mean I wouldn't do it. doesn't mean I wouldn't do it. And I would say watch this space because Mr. Eubank and I are talking about a number of little collaborations that we're going to do this year. So um, who knows? It could be the start of something.
0: I might have been the first to know or the audience might have (laughs) been the second to know.
1: Yes, you would be (laughs) because I haven't spoken about it anywhere yet.
0: I like the sound of that. So what is next for you, Shah?
1: Well, um, we have one program a year called Empowered, which I really, really focus on. And for me, that's because I know, especially when we talk about money, how important it is as business owners to get to that first and consistent 10K months. And that's what my Empowered program focuses on. It's not just for coaches or trainers or consultants. It's really for anybody in any service-based business. Although we have had some product-based businesses come in and do it. so Of course, coaches and trainers and personal trainers and web designers, and all kinds of consultants. And it's it's really my flagship program to not just teach people how to get their businesses to a consistent 10K k month turnover, but to actually start to learn how to take home consistent 10K months because that is where it becomes life-changing. When you have a surplus of wealth each month, you can then use that surplus to invest into other assets that then generate you more income. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So for me, Empowered is always going to be a big highlight of my year. But in addition to that, um, I guess there's only one other work thing. I I run a brilliant uh, mastermind that I love for female founded businesses uh, who are already doing multiple six, multiple seven figures. And, And that's definitely a core focus for me this year. But those are really my only two what I would call traditional work focuses. Um, because actually, I've got some other creative projects in the pipeline this year. Um, and we're building out a, a new podcast, a new YouTube channel, which may or may not include a famous co host, we will see. So yeah, so some really interesting things for me, because I, I love when I'm stretched creatively, I can then deliver my best work in
0: my programs and is that what lights you up being stretched creatively
1: uh, I absolutely I mean I love I love writing I, I I think I've got another book in me this year as well so I've just had my last book stop talking start doing the 10th anniversary came out just before Christmas and we are st- it went straight to number one in the WH Smith charts. we're still in the top 10 Harry Harry bless him, knocked me off the top spot. But um, I'll let him have that. So um, yeah, let me see. So I've got look, no, you'll see by my little collection here. So uh, this is my most recent one to stop talking, start doing. Available at all good bookshops, uh, WH Smith, and of course, Amazon. But then uh, this was the one before it, How to Fix Your Shit, Do Less, Get More. There's a Theme to my books—they're very practical, and it's uh, it's my Action. create it's my creative outlet. I, I really do enjoy writing. I enjoy creating content. Period. So uh, whether it's podcast, YouTube channels, writing, speaking programs, I think any time that we can create content that helps somebody else move their lives or their businesses forward has got to be a good thing.
0: I know, totally agree, totally agree. So how can people connect with you? You've said where they can get the books, but how can they connect with you?
1: The best way to connect with me is online. Just go to my website, shahaa.com. That's it. Just go to com. you'll find all of my socials on there you'll find me on instagram you'll find me on facebook um, and you will soon be finding me on youtube as well so yeah i think the best place easiest place just go to char.com you'll have links on my website to all of my socials and then connect me on the social of your choice or on my email list or, or whatever is easiest for people
0: brilliant well that I makes That makes it really, really easy. And obviously, all those details will be in the show notes so people can easily find you and connect with you. Thank you very much for coming on today. I have loved 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 hearing your story i think to have gone through what you have gone through and now to be doing what you're doing and empowering others to do it as well is just really really inspiring and motivating thank you very much for your time
1: thank you so much for having me leslie
0: take care thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the let's talk many and more podcast i really hope you enjoyed it If you would like to better understand your relationship with money, then please head to the resources section on my website, the Money Confidence Academy, and download my monthly money mindset audit. This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my money archetypes assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make, spend, keep and invest more money. Or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free money confidence community over on Facebook? a link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review.